Good morning again, everybody. Thanks for being here with us. If you're in the room physically or joining us on Facebook Live or YouTube, we're so glad that you could be with us no matter where you are this morning. Welcome to week two, episode two of our series, The Way Out is Through. Hey, that kind of rhymed. Sort of stumbling upon that. That's kind of fun. Anyway, uh, during this series, we were talking about those seasons, those parts of our life that we wish we could just push the eject button or we could go around those seasons where life is not what we expected it to be. It doesn't look like the way we were hoping it to be. And we would do anything just to just be done with it, to get relief from it. These challenging, tough seasons. And what we're doing through this month is we're asking the question, what would it look like to follow God into the dark? What would it look like to deepen our trust, to deepen our dependency upon him during this time? What would we look like on the other side if we learned that the way out of our challenge is actually going straight through them? And so last week, if you were here with us, we talked about the reality that our culture, everything about the American experience is, okay, what can I do to get around hard things? It's why the science has been certain forever that diet and exercise is the best way to lose weight, but we would rather wear like the robot belts that give us a six pack, right? It's why we know the book is always better than the movie, but the book takes a lot more time than a two hour movie, right? But we'd always rather do the quick fix, but God is inviting us to the harder journey of going through our challenges. And last week, we talked about these different phases, these different stages of faith that a lot of scholars and psychologists and pastors have studied. Uh, Because the reality of following Jesus is not like, hey, you become a follower of Jesus and life is just smooth sailing from here. There's actually quite the journey in it. I mean, maybe for you, uh, you grew up in church and you walked away from church because you thought life is too big, too complicated, the world is too messy uh, for this simplistic version of faith to be the real thing. But that's why we think that these stages of faith are actually um, really helpful to us because it's a true experience of life. So we'll start with this first phase just to recap from last week. The first phase is to have a confident faith. So if you grew up in church or right after those those moments, that moment when you said, okay, I'm following Jesus with my life and you find your way back to God, we have this kind of confident faith about us to where when we pray, we feel like God really hears our praise. When we sing the songs at church, we're like, oh man, that's my favorite song and then that's my favorite song. They're all my favorite song. Or whenever there's somebody like me speaking at a church, you're like, man, this message is just speaking right to where I am. Everything is just like he's been following following me around all week long. And we just have like lots of joy and peace about us in this confident stage of faith. But newsflash, we don't stay there. It is impossible to stay there through our life because as we walk through life, life hits us back. Can I get an amen on that, right? Life hits us back. And so we go into this next stage of faith that this series is really all about. We're just calling it a challenged faith, a challenged faith. And inside of this next stage, this challenged faith, you guys, uh, we see that we start to have fears start to emerge and our doubts and questions start to emerge. And the world just gets much more complicated than we could possibly imagine. And praying is more difficult. Following God's will for our life is more hazy than it seemed to be. And the songs that we used to love in church, we're like, oh man, they're doing that song again. Or we start to do even worse and be like, oh, the drums are too loud, even though we used to love it, right? Or the messages, you're like, oh, he's talking about that again. She's talking about that again. We've already talked about that. We start to find things to complain about. And we just wish in a season of challenged faith that we could push the eject button and go back to the beginning when it was just us and God and everything made a little bit more sense. And this challenged faith season, I believe this is where many of us are at right now in our journey as well. 
But here's the beautiful thing about this challenged faith season. If we find a way to push through, if we can courageously and bravely walk through our challenged faith, there's something beautiful and rich on the other side. And we call it this. It's a living faith. It's an abundant trust, a stretchy, wide faith that we can fall into when we've pushed through a challenged faith. This is the kind of faith where you know people that have been to hell and back and made a pit stop on their way in the middle. And you're like, man, they just trust God so deeply. And I would venture that wherever you stand when it comes to Christianity this morning, if you're probably leaning into the possibility of it being true. And no matter where you stand, if, if this thing, this whole Jesus, death, resurrection, Christianity is true, oh man, you want a real, living, abundant faith, right? A real trust in God. You don't want it to be phony or superficial. These are the people, the people with living faith that we look up to, that we admire in our life. And what we're saying in the series is that if we take steps to walk through our challenging seasons, we get to the other side and we experience this living faith, this beautiful space that God has for us. And so last week we talked about the reality that what God really wants us to do during our challenging seasons and the way out of our challenging seasons is actually walking through them and and actually walking through them, crying out to God, not just complaining about our circumstances, but crying out to God. We said that God is after, uh, he's not after our polite prayers, but he's after our real, authentic, messy self. And he wants us to bring our honesty, all the mess, all of the anger, all of the frustration. He wants us to bring it to him and him alone. And that's the kind of relationship he's after. And us getting out of our challenges, it begins with us being real with God about our challenges. And this week, we're going to talk about the power of the things that we hold on to during challenging seasons and the things that we let go of during challenging seasons. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like you had to hold on to something tightly? It was just too chaotic, too scary, too messy. You felt like you had to hold on to something tightly. Uh, I think about my, my uh, one and a half year old son, Jack Lewis Larison. Uh, he, he really holds on to his pacifiers uh, pretty intently. He's, and he's so intense that he can't just have one in his mouth. No, he really feels secure if he's double fisting pacifiers while having one in his mouth. We actually learned early on when we were sleep training that we just needed to basically dump like 10 pacifiers out on his crib. So if in the middle of the night one fell out, he could reach around blindly and grab one and taste the other one and make sure which one he wanted. It was the best way for him to sleep through the night. This was actually a picture of him this morning in his PJs. Uh, you see, he's, he's double fisting pacifiers walking around. He just feels like a boss this way. This is how he rolls. Uh, he needs this, but he holds on to him so he feels safer. It pacifies him, right? Uh, and another example of things that we hold on to, I was thinking about my own life. It's been like almost 10 years, but I love roller coasters and amusement parks. Any roller coaster fans? Oh, there's just a few in the 11 today. The 930, were, those were thrill seekers this morning, but you know, I love this stuff. And we live so close to like the Mecca, the promised land of roller coasters found in the beautiful sprawling metropolis of Sandusky, Ohio. You guys know what I'm talking about? Cedar Point. This place is amazing. And about nine years ago, uh, my wife and I, we went to Cedar Point and we actually rode this thing. Does anybody know what this one's called? The top thrill dragster, right? I mean, this was a crazy roller coaster. This thing, it, go, it takes you 120 miles per hour from zero in 3.8 seconds, takes you up and does a little bit of a corkscrew and then a 400 foot drop. 
Does that sound like fun right after breakfast to you or what, right? I mean, my wife and I, we went the first year it was open and we waited an ungodly amount of time to do it. And we were about halfway through our wait and there was a group of people that got stuck at the very top. And I thought, that could be us, Megan. And she's like, that could be us. Let's not do this. And they got to figure it out, of course. And so we went on it. And a lot of people, when they ride the Top Thrill Dragster, they might look like this because they're having so much fun. They're letting go, hands up in the air. They look way too happy and posed for this moment, right? This was more of what I looked like when I went on the Top Thrill Dragster the very first time. <laughs> Every fold in my face, was the Gs were just hitting me hard, right? These poor guys, like, you type in Top Thrill Dragster on Google, and these faces are there forever. This is their mark the mark on the world, right? But I felt like when I was on the Top Thrill Dragster, I had to hold on for dear life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a season where you felt like you just needed to hold on to whatever you could find in front of you because the world and life was just hitting you from all different angles? You didn't know what side was up, what side was down. You didn't know what you needed to do, but you just knew you had to hold on to something. You ever been there? I think we've all been there, and I want us to take us on a journey this morning to help us, to give us some tools in our toolbox for what to do when we're in a topsy-turvy season of life, a challenging time, and we need something to hold on to. So previously on episode one of The Way Out is Through, uh, we were spending time a long time before Jesus with Jesus' ancestors, the Israelites. And th their story is basically the story of the first two-thirds of your Bible called the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. This is the story of the Israelites. And we found a long, long time ago that they were actually enslaved by ancient Egypt, like the Pharaoh and pyramids, all that kind of stuff. They were enslaved. Their people were put to hard labor. They couldn't worship and live the way they were called to live for 430 years under the Egyptian pharaohs. But God raised up this guy named Moses and his brother Aaron and through lots of miraculous signs and wonders actually led over a million people out of slavery, out of captivity, away from Egypt. And he didn't just set them free. God didn't just set them free. He actually set them free and said, I'm preparing a place for you called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to lead you to your own land, which had to sound like an incredible deal to these Israelites who for generations were in slavery, right? But the problem was that God apparently left his GPS at home. And he was leading them, but didn't lead them in a straight line to the promised land. He sort of took them a long way about to get to the promised land. And so days traveling in the desert turned into weeks traveling in the desert that turned into months traveling in the desert to where God's people, the Israelites are like, man, it wasn't so bad back in Egypt, right? And they were wondering, is God really there? Is God going to take them to this land? Or was it just lip service that God gave them? And it led them to what I'll just call a desert space where you're in between where you were and where you want to be. And you're kind of stuck in the middle in this in-between desert space. Before we move on, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you're in a desert space right now in your life? An in-between space Maybe it's a desert at work where you're just barely hanging on. Your productivity is dropped off. It's taking all that you can to get out of bed to clock in in the mornings, and you don't know what to do, but you're in a desert space at work. Maybe mentally you're in a desert space to where you just feel like this persistent nature of this pandemic and all that we're dealing with is just weighing on you, and you're struggling mentally with depression, with anxiety, with fear, and you know you're not your best up in between your ears. Maybe for you, spiritually, you're in a desert season where you literally feel dry. You feel like you haven't connected with God in a meaningful way in a long time. Or maybe you feel like you've never actually connected with God in a meaningful way. And so you're spiritually dry. 
I think we've all been there, and maybe you're there this morning. And this is where the Israelites are. They're out in the middle of the desert, in between where they were in slavery and this promised land that God has called them to. And to make matters worse, Moses, their leader, has booked it out of town. God called Moses to go to the top of this place called Mount Sinai, where God was going to meet with Moses face to face, and he was going to hear clearly from God, which was a great thing. We all want our leaders to hear really clearly from God, right? But the problem was that Moses left, and he was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was meeting with God, hearing from God firsthand on the mountaintop, but God's people were down in the valley, and all they heard was silence. Moses was up getting something, put in his hands, the Ten Commandments, the guidelines for the ancient community of Israel. And God's people are down in the valley, and they got nothing in their hands. And they just felt like they needed something to hold on to because God was silent, and they were sick of it. It felt like God was distant, and they were sick of it. And they're like, okay, if this God's not there, I just need something to hold on to to get me through this challenging desert season. So where I want to pick up in the text this morning is Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. And we hear about this tension between Moses being on top of the mountain and his people being alone without hearing from God down in the valley. Exodus 32 verse 1, we're told this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now Aaron was Moses' brother, his second in command, his chief of staff, if you will. He said this, and come, make us gods, notice little g, gods or idols, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. And you just sense like the frustration of God's people, the Israelites here, because Moses is getting this incredible experience with God and they don't even know if God's even listening to them or attentive to them anymore. And the Israelites, they were just desperate for something to hold on to in this desert space. It's the kind of thing we need. We need something to hold on to as well because sometimes we feel like God is absent or asleep at the wheel. And I I think it's so powerful, this little phrase that we have highlighted here, come make us gods who will go before us. Now, the end of that phrase, go before us, this is actually an ancient military idea and phrase, to go before us. In ancient military, they would send out scouts to go in front of or ahead of the infantry, and scouts would make sure that the coast was clear, that they had a great battle plan that they could execute. And so they made sure they weren't going to be ambushed. And this is the same thing that the Israelites are crying out for. We need somebody to go before us, a power that sees beyond what we can see to protect us and to make sure we're making the right decision. So Aaron, will you just please show us some gods, make us some little gods, something to hold on to that will go before us because we feel like we're all alone. And the next verse, Aaron answers them. And in a moment of weakness, in a moment of him just feeling the void that his people were feeling, he responds in this way. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. I mean, that's a lot of earrings if you ask me, right? Everybody was in on the action. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf or like a baby cow, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your little G gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron and all of God's people were like, okay, I mean, I I guess the God who actually brought us out of Egypt is distant. He's far away. He's left us alone. We need a substitute. We need something to supplement the God that we can't hear from anymore that's gone silent on us. And so they make a, a gold statue, a gold idol called the golden calf, and they think this will be our new version of God that led us up out 
of Egypt. Now, for, me, for many years hearing and reading this story, and just I can remember being a little kid with the flannel graph in church hearing this story, I thought this was the whole moral of the story, right? Like they substituted, they traded out the real living God for this fake lesser than idol, this golden calf, because they couldn't hear from God. That's what I thought the whole story was about, substituting the real thing for fake. But there's more going on in the very next verse that I found to be so fascinating. And I think it just lines so much up with my struggle in my life, maybe yours as well. Exodus 32.5 says this. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to who? The Lord. And that's a capital L. (laughs) To the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one true and living God who led them out of Egypt. What is going on here? You see Aaron with one hand, he's like, okay, we got this new God, this new God, this golden calf, and we're going to say he's the one that led us up out of Egypt. He's got that in his right hand. But he's like, let's not forget about the one true living God, the Lord, who actually led us out of Egypt. So he hasn't traded one for the other, and the Israelites didn't trade the real thing for the fake thing. What are the Israelites doing? What is Aaron leading them to do? To hold both of them at the same time. We've got this golden calf, but tomorrow night we're going to like party like it's 1999 for the Lord. That was a Prince reference for you guys that don't remember that. But this is what we see going on, right? They're holding both things in their hands at the same time. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's really easy for us to judge the Israelites and be like, can you guys not forget, I mean, can you guys not remember like just a few chapters earlier, a few weeks earlier, God did all these miracles and led you out of generational slavery and oppression. How can you forget that he is the one true living God and you go on just, I mean, a 40 days, 40 nights little run here and you're gonna forget all that and make a little golden calf? What are you doing? But the reality is, um, You and I, we do this all the time. We're more like the Israelites than we'd ever like to admit. Because I don't know you, but I I know a little bit about myself and human nature. And um, if you're a follower of Jesus, often when hard things hit us, maybe you get unemployment, uh, you get a diagnosis in your family that changes everything forever, or uh, there's a car accident, or there's divorce, or there's cancer going on. When those things happen, your first response probably, if you're a Jesus follower, is not to go on Facebook and say, this happened, therefore I'm an atheist. Your first response is not to shout it from the rooftops, now this terrible thing happened, now I'm an agnostic, I'm not sure about God at all. That's probably not your first response. You're probably more like Aaron and the Israelites where you hold on to God with one hand, but he's kind of silent, he let you down. So you start picking up lesser things to make you start feeling better as well. And we don't walk around carrying golden calves today. And if you do, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I think that's fascinating. Uh, But we all have our own version of the golden calf, this lesser thing that I think during hard times we lean on like a crutch. Uh, We think that, okay, God's not really listening here, so I'm going to turn to this direction and look at this new shiny thing that hopefully this will medicate me, this will numb me down, this will help me get through this hard season. Maybe for you, your golden calf is the bottle (laughs) to where you used to just have a drink or two just for fun, but you know what? Work got hard, relationships got hard, and so you find yourself going three, four, just to numb down what you're feeling to medicate yourself. Maybe for you, it's entertainment or it's pleasure. It's anything you can put before your eyeballs to help you forget about the struggle and the pain and the reality of just being a human being in 2020. You guys know what I'm talking about? 
We'll do anything just to get our mind off of the hard things that we're feeling. Maybe for you, it's your job, it's your career. It's your career path. It's how many zeros you have on your uh, check stubs. And you're going to focus in on that because that's where you really feel good. And anywhere else, you don't feel good. So you spend more time at work than ever before. Maybe for you, it's in your relationships. You're in some unhealthy relationships, but it's this codependency that actually makes you feel good. And so that's why you keep that relationship going. Now, relationships are jobs, careers, entertainment, pleasure, Uh, Even the occasional drink probably for you is not an evil thing, but you make those things ultimate things. You take them, they're good things, you make them ultimate things, and things get messed up. They start to become a golden calf for you. And we don't drop God altogether, but we pick something else up to help us through the hard seasons. I've just been thinking about this so much this week, just with my story and our story of starting Bridgeway. I mean, we had our grand opening weekends here in this building, March 8th, 2020. There were almost 400 people here. Five people got baptized. There was all this hope and excitement. We even had donuts and coffee on Sunday morning. It was crazy. I mean, it was incredible. And I left that Sunday afternoon just on cloud nine thinking, God, you are, you've got this incredible adventure for us, and I'm just along for the ride. Four days later, the NBA shut down. Five days later, March Madness was canceled, and the world changed forever. So five days after we had our grand opening services where like, we were pulling out more chairs and there was standing room only, I was sitting on a stool on this stage with my phone doing like an iPhone message and iPhone worship for our Sunday morning services online. And I was so devastated with disappointment because this is not the way it was supposed to be, God. This isn't the way we wrote the story up, right? This wasn't in the launch plan. And then the next couple weeks, we went online services and we saw we had Facebook live. And and, and then I started to see these things called views on Facebook. And I noticed we could only hold about 200 people at a time in our church, but we had 2,000 views on our Facebook. And I'm like all excited, like, oh man, God's gonna use this in incredible ways to reach more people. Then I had a pastor friend tell me, you know, they count any view to like three seconds as a view, so they're not really there very long. And I'm like, wah, wah, wah. So I couldn't hold on to physical attendance. <laughs> I couldn't hold on to what views actually were online. So then I thought, well, I've just got to hold on to how are we doing financially? Are we solvent? Are we growing financially? And so I start like almost doing the refresh thing online to see if we're making it week to week, day to day. How are we doing financially? And I'm trying to hold on to that because I don't know what else to hold on to. And then the reality was that I couldn't hold on to that either. And as I was like reflecting over what God was teaching me in this, it was just so fascinating because I kept holding on to so many different things that were just the output of Bridgeway. Like, is it working? Are we growing? Am I doing a good job? And I was searching for any kind of affirmation that I could count saying, this must mean that God's favor is on me. It's on this place and we're okay. And I searched for so many different things and they all let me down. And it was so easy for me to take the eye off the ball during that hard season. <laughs> and that's just what I learned, that I was like holding on to God and his promise, but I'm holding on to success. I'm holding on to numbers that I could not control, and they let me down over and over and over again. Let me turn the question of this message to you this morning. <laughs> we'll put this up on the screen. What is your challenge that you wish you could just go around What is your desert 
season? What is your desert challenge that you wish you could just push the eject button and be done with, that you wish you could go around? Or let me ask you a different way. What is that thing that just weighs heavy on your heart that when you're left alone to your own thoughts and your own vices, this is what you start spinning mentally about? What's the thing that wakes you up at 2.30, 3.30, 4.30 a.m. worrying about? What's your desert season? What's your challenge that's out of your control? You got the pop-up video thing going on yet? You think about what that thing is? This is what I want you to do with that challenge. I want to ask this other question of it that we learn from the mistakes of our ancestors, the Israelites. Here's this. What do you need to let go of so you can go through your challenge? What do you need to let go of that you've been, you picked up to medicate yourself that you need to let go of so that you can go through your challenge? What have you picked up that is a poor substitute for the identity, worth, and security that can only come from having a relationship with God, being part of his family? What is that thing you need to let go of? What's that thing you need to drop? Is it something that numbs you? Is it over-drinking? Is it overeating? Is it pornography? Is it mindless scrolling on your phone on social media? Maybe God's inviting you to drop that this morning, to let go of it, to realize it's a lesser thing. Maybe for you, it's your work like it was for me. Maybe for you, it's your production numbers. It's your output, and you've made it your identity to where if things are good and the numbers are good, then you're good. But if things are bad and the numbers are bad, then you're not good. Maybe you need to drop that lesser thing. Let go of it. Maybe for you, it's your reputations. It's what people know you for. People know me for this, even though you don't feel that inside at all. So you're putting on airs. You're putting on a mask, uh, metaphorically, putting on a mask so that people think that you've got it all together. Maybe for you, it's this. Maybe it's your busyness, which is like a cultural badge of honor, right? When people ask you the question, how's it going? Don't you almost reflexively feel like you need to say, oh, it's so busy, and if we don't say we're busy, we feel like we're less than and people are just going to assume that we're lazy. Maybe God's asking you to let go of your busyness in that feeling that you need to say yes to everything, everyone, all the time. So there you'll feel and find your worth. Maybe he's saying let go of that stuff. And maybe this, uh, these are things that maybe we need to let go of. Maybe there's some things and some realities that have come into our world because of COVID-19, things that were taken away from us that we had to let go of. And in our search to come back to the normal, I know we're always talking about what's normal, what's the new normal going to look like. Maybe there's some things that God has allowed to be stripped away from us during this COVID season that we need to never pick up again. You ever ask yourself that question? What are some new realities and some new rhythms we want to walk into because things were taken from us during this season? <laughs> Maybe there are things that you need to let go of and never pick up again so you can get through your challenge. What do you need to let go of, my friends? What are those lesser things, those golden calves, those good things that we turn into ultimate things that we just need to drop and never pick up again so that we can bravely and courageously go through our challenges? What is it for you? I'm waiting. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is what's beautiful. This is one of the things that's beautiful about our God, right, is that he invites us to drop things, to let go of things, but he doesn't leave us empty-handed. There's a couple things that we're just thinking your right hand and your left hand that I think God wants us to hold on to and to pick up so that we can go through our challenging times. To let go of the lesser things, the golden calves, but there are some things we can hold on to, some tools we can put in our toolbox for those challenging seasons. I think I want to encourage you to pick up and hold on to with your right hand and your left hand. The first thing is this. I want to challenge you and encourage you and invite you to hold on to God's people during your challenging seasons. Hold on to God's 
people. My friends, you were not created to walk through this life alone. Let me say that again for the people in the back. You were not created to walk through this life alone, the challenges, the darkness, the desert seasons. You weren't created to. You're not strong enough, and you weren't created to be strong enough and muscle up to walk through these seasons alone. You need others. You need people that you can just word vomit to. You can be real with, and they don't judge you. They don't shun you. They listen to you. They hear you, and they invite you to walk into God's best for your life. Uh, my wife and I, we, we are in a couple's table group. It's our version of small groups here at Bridgeway. And we meet here at the church on Thursday nights. And we're doing a little bit of a study. We hang out, eat some food together, uh, laugh, have some. Uh, we're actually on doing a pizza tour of Kokomo. So like every week a different couple brings a different local pizza. You guys should all be in my group. You're missing out. But anyway, we're doing a little study about hearing from God. What does it look like to hear God's voice Today And one of the main things that we, we talked about last week was how noisy our lives are. And we talked about all the different noise that we have to put up with in our culture today. And it was so awesome because we started to all complain about it. And then a couple people in the group were like, yeah, but this isn't going to change unless we decide to tune out the noise. And we talked about different ways we could tune out the noise so we could hear better from our Heavenly Father. And I needed that a lot because I just wanted to hang out in the complaining about how noisy life was land. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have no time and it's just so noisy and I've got different people needing me all the time. And then somebody stood up and they, they didn't stand up, but they spoke up and they said, you know, unless we decide to change that and turn the volume down on these other voices, nothing's going to change. So how can we do that? And it was something that I needed because I was a little stuck in my thinking about it. I think for you, maybe you're a little stuck in your challenging season or some broken parts of your life because you're not opening the door for other, people's to, other people to speak truth and love into your life. And I'll put it this way. I think this is so important for each and every one of us here. We put this up on the screen, this next slide. The distance between where you are and where you want to be is often the people who are speaking into your life. Think about that. The distance between where you are and where you want to be is often the people who are speaking into your life, the people that have access to your life and can speak into you and challenge you and love you through it all. We all need people like this, my friends. So hold on to God's people. This is one of the ways that we get through the challenging seasons because we are not created to do it alone. And the last thing I want to encourage you to pick up and hold on to is to hold on to God's presence to realize not only in your head, but in your heart, going down to your hands and to your toes, that you have never walked a moment in your life where God's presence was not with you and before you if you are a follower of Jesus. So hold on to it. The most common command in the Old Testament and New Testament is the command, do not fear, do not be afraid. And that is tied to the reality that our God is with us at all times. He is Emmanuel. He is not sitting up on a throne in heaven, stroking his white beard, sending down lightning bolts when we do bad things, but he is with us and he is for us. And this is peppered all throughout the scriptures. In Psalm 23, or maybe you know it as the 23rd Psalm, uh, this is what David writes about God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And why will he fear no evil? Not because he's got the guts, not because he can muscle it up and take it. No, because he believes that God is with him, for you are with me. 
the author of Hebrews in the, in the end of the back side of our New Testament writes this about who God is and how he's with us. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And you know what's so fascinating I find about this verse? If you look at the actual original language for that word never, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the original Greek, you know what never means? Never. Right? It means never, when you can't feel him working, when you can't see him moving, he is still with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, through the highs and the lows, the mountaintops and the valleys, you can't outrun him. You can't shake him off because he is with you and he is for you. Then the last words that Jesus ever spoke before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, it's often called the Great Commission. This is what he said. This in Matthew 28, he says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he puts this final sentence on there, which actually is the point of it all, that we can't do any of those things without this last sentence being a reality. And the last sentence says this, And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. And don't call me Shirley. No, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is why all these things can happen, because he is with us. My friends, God's presence is never lacking, but our awareness of God's presence is often lacking. God's presence and the highs and lows of our lives is never lacking, but our awareness, our understanding of it is often lacking. So here's some practical ways you can hold on to God's presence this next week. Spend some time, some dedicated time in the scriptures, hearing what God has to say about his son, his plan, and your life. We have a weekly Bible reading plan that ties to what we talk about on Sundays that we post on Facebook and we email out to everybody in our database. Spend some time reflecting on it and reading it. Another thing, find a song that connects with you and reminds you of who God is during hard times and play it over and over. Play it at an annoying volume to your spouse or your kids. Write down the lyrics, journal them over and over again, but be reminded of the truth of who he is. Here's another thing. Leave your phone at home and take a walk and just be in God's presence. Talk to him. Tell him about your day. Just try to reflect on what he's blessed you with and the things that you can be grateful for, but spend time with him and hold on to his presence during the hard times. My friends, the invitation for us is this. We all face hard seasons. We all face challenges. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Go through it. And I'm telling you, God will change you from the inside out and you'll be a better version of yourself on the other side. I love this quote from Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom says this, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. What a beautiful invitation and challenge for us. It's when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, when life gets dark, when you find yourself in those desert spaces, the invitation is to hold on and trust the designer, trust the engineer, trust the one who's on both sides of that dark tunnel. Trust him. That is the invitation, my friends. Don't waste these hard times. Let go of the lesser things and pick up the true things, the things of God, his people and his presence.